I know that Pastor Heron does not want today to be about him. And I can tell you I don't want it to be about me because it's not. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done in this place. And so that's where we want to put the focus today. I want to take you down a 40-year trail as quickly as I can. And well, there will be some big gaps in it. But I want to share a few things with you today. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to a text that you'll probably say, what in the world has this nut chosen this text for? I, I believe that I can take you down this trail and, and help you see why I chose this text, why the Lord showed me this text. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The last time I heard this sermon used, or this passage used in a, uh, in a service, it was at a funeral in Quebec. A missionary that you support, Paul Pelletier, passed away, and I was asked to come to Quebec and have a part in his funeral. And uh, I didn't preach the, the main message, but I did the graveside. And uh, the pastor, an old French Canadian preacher, preached the sermon in French and they had a translator translating it into English. But he used as part of his message, the text that we're going to read today. But there's more in it than just a comfort for a, a funeral message. And so I want you to follow along. We'll read it and we'll have prayer and get into it. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says, Behold, I show you a mystery. A mystery refers to something in Scripture that uh, before has been hidden or unknown, and, and now it's revealed. And Paul is saying, God is going to reveal something here. And so what we want to do is look at what God reveals. Now, as we read the rest of this, what I would like for you to do is look for a word that repeats itself over and over again, and it's the word shall. S-H-A-L-L, -L, if my spelling is right. Paul says, we shall not all sleep. That's talking about the sleep of death. So we shall not all sleep or we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. And Paul tells us about that in the book of Philippians in chapter 3. And I don't know if I told you what verse we were starting at, but it was verse 58. Or, I'm sorry, verse 51. And we end at 58. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 51 or 21, Paul says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? That's the change that Paul is referring to there. And he goes on in our text in verse 52. He says, In a moment, in, a, in the twinkling of an eye, I looked up that word moment. How quickly is that going to happen? And we get our English word atomos from this word that we see here, uh, translated moment. It means a, a fragment of time so small that it's indivisible. Nothing any smaller. That's how quickly this change is going to take place. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. We shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal shall or must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? 
The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And with all of that said, would Paul just taking a, a walk down through the promises of God and using that word shall, these are future events. These are not things that have already taken place. These are future events. But Paul had no uncertainty about God doing these things. He said, they shall happen. And you know, when he approached it that way, now, this is not in the Scriptures, okay? This is John Lewis's interpretation of how that came about, or what happened then. As Paul reflected on the goodness of God, a future event as if it had already, because he believed God. He could claim the promises as if they'd already happened. And Paul, as he lists these things, he pauses, I believe, and then we get to verse 58. And Paul said, Therefore, or as a result of what God has promised, therefore, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I, I may get to heaven and run across Paul one day, and Paul say, you know, you had it wrong. Uh, you know, I didn't pause there or anything, but Paul... Uh, I believe, as he thought about what his, the promises of God were, was overwhelmed and paused for a moment and reflected on what God had promised. And he said, because of those truths, then, I call on you to be steadfast, unmovable, unshakable. You know, as we take a march down from 1976 to uh, 1st of July, not 1976-75, 1st of July 1975, as a small group of people, uh, a man named Frank Jaquette let about 15 people meet on a carport at the University of Guam. And that was the first service of Harvest Baptist Church. But I can tell you that out of that small group of people, over 40 years, God raised up what you see here today. He really did. I was preaching in Muskegon, Michigan, right along Lake Michigan, just a few weeks ago. A man, after the message, I walked to the back door as preachers do. I don't know why we do, but we do. We go to the back door. That, that way, if they didn't like the message, we can run, I guess. <laughs> but I go to the back door, and I'm shaking hands and talking to people, and this man, kind of, I saw him standing over and he waited until the crowd cleared out a little bit and he walked over and he said, Pastor Lewis, you don't know me. He said, but I want to introduce myself to you. He said, I surrendered to preach at Harvest Baptist Church. He said, I've been pastoring now for nearly 30 years. He said, I surrendered to preach under your preaching. He said, I can tell you what the message was. I couldn't wait. Oh, what a man, it must have been good. That's that old nature. It, it must have been good. Man, it must have been on that day. He told me what the message was. I couldn't remember ever preaching it. 
I couldn't. I couldn't, could not remember ever preaching this message. But I go home and I've got, I've got the gist of, not the gist, but the title of the message. He knew the text and everything. I thought, I'm going to go home and tell my wife. I'm going home and I'm going to tell Becky. And I got home and I, I didn't tell her. And then I didn't tell her. And then I didn't tell her. You know why I didn't tell her? I couldn't remember from the time I drove from Muskegon back home. I couldn't remember the text. I couldn't remember the name uh, of, the, of the sermon. Nothing. You know what God told me about all of that? John Lewis, you aren't that important. You really aren't. You're just a ball of clay. You're, you're not so big as you think you are. Now, maybe, maybe you don't have a problem like that. You've never been there. But God has to whip me down every once in a while to get me to realize it's all about Him. It's not John Lewis. It's not Marty Heron. It's about the Lord. Uh, this place is special to me and, and special to you. But it's what God is doing. It's what God is doing to change lives and mold people. But Paul, as he looks at the promises of God, he looks at them as if they've already taken place and they're yet to be in the future. God's promises are as sure today as they were when Paul paused and rejoiced over them. And he said, but thanks be to God, which gives us the victory. Thank you for the many victories that we've seen here at this place at Harvest Baptist Church. God's recorded in His Word man's failure to, to, uh, to give Him the glory, man's failure uh, along with His victories. And the victories of many, and sadly to say, the, the failures sometimes are often. I, as I was looking at different Scriptures I, and reading, going through references and things, I saw the goodness of God to His people going all the way back to Abraham. And then I also saw how for all that goodness, how man often drifted away. And it has a way of repeating itself. Psalm 106. Israel saw the goodness of God in Psalm 106. And that psalm goes back and looks back kind of like Paul is looking ahead. And beginning in verse 1, they said, Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And then they go into the specifics of what they're praising the Lord about in verse 9. He rebuked the Red Sea. That's when the children of Israel, He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. He said He rebuked the Red Sea also and it was dried up so He led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And He saved them from the hand of Him that hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies and the enemies that were covered were Pharaoh's army. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. What a day of celebration. And, and the writer of the psalm here is saying for these people, they rejoiced at what God had done. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 21 says, And Moses stretched out his hands over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back. 
by a strong east wind and that night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. That was a great miracle and, and as the people saw that unfold, they rejoiced. I confess to you today, I've, I've never seen the Red Sea parted. I've seen the Red Sea, but God didn't part it when I got to it. But I've seen some wonderful miracles and I've seen them right here on this island. I've seen God do great things. I remember after a typhoon one time, a tree or something had fallen on our tractor. And I guess it hit it right dead center and the wheels, the front wheels were spread out like this. And I looked at that thing and I thought, there ain't no fix to that one. I go down to Triple J. But I went over to Bob's office and he graciously had me come out and I said, Bob, I need a tractor. Bob said, now John Lewis, I can't give you no tractor in his best southern. And he said, I can't give you no tractor. I said, well, I didn't ask you to give me a tractor. I just don't want you to make any money on it. Bob had somebody bring in the inventory. He sits there a little while. He said, well, I guess you can have that one. It was that red Yanmar tractor. He gave me the tractor. I don't think that he's going to do that. But Bob didn't know that day maybe that God was using him. But he did. Do you kind of get the feel for the fact that this is not John Lewis, it's not Marty Heron, but it's God? Forty years, a long time. But it doesn't need to end here. I've got a lot of notes and things that I could say. But if we only get one thing, this work that we all love is more important than any one of us. Yes, in God's eyes, we're all important. He loves us all. He loves you and He loves me. But this has been a lighthouse. And I would venture to say, but thousands of people have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ because a group of people, starting mighty small, yielded their lives to God and said, Lord, I'll listen and I'll do what you have me to do. But Paul says, as he reflects on what's going on, he said, be steadfast. Don't waver. They're going to be along the way. They're going to be folks that, you know, well, you know, we need to go here. We need to go there. No, be steadfast. The gospel's worked and it'll continue to work. Uh, you know, don't, there are going to be some trials and things that come. Be immovable. Just keep on keeping on. Let God continue to work through this great ministry that is raised up. And he'll do it. I want to close with this on a totally different subject. A week ago, Saturday, I had an opportunity to do something I have I never in all my life been able to do or have a part in. But a lady in the church in Michigan called me and she said, or she was in church and she said, Pastor Lewis says, I'd, I'd like for you to, to talk to my dad. I don't believe he's saved. And I said, I, you know, I'll be happy to do it. I'll be happy to do it. 
So we set up a time that I would go to her home and talk to her dad. Her dad is 96 years old. He's an, I've known him since I went to Michigan, and he's a nice man. But I said, I'll go see him. She's, and it, it, we got busy, and I, uh, we didn't get the time set. And so I saw her at church on Wednesday night, and she came. She said, Preacher, I know you're busy. She said, I'll tell you what. She said, let's do it after you get back. I said, no way. I said, he may die before I get back. And I may not get back. And so let's do it. And we, last Saturday, I went over. And this old World War II veteran that was at the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. A man that at the age of nine had sat in a Sunday school class and thought maybe he got saved. But for 50, 60 years, there was absolutely no evidence that he was what he claimed to be. And in my library, and I talked to him, and he knows me well, he asked me to do his funeral. And I said, if I die first, I'll do it. You're on your own if, if I die first. But anyway, I said, in my library, Charlie, I, I had a book for a number of years. It's called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I said, now let's go back nine to nine years old. I said, because we need to look at the evidence that you're what you say you are. He was a drinker and a carouser and he slowed down, and the nice guy that I know him to be today uh, is started because he couldn't do the things that he used to do. And so he, uh, I said, okay, Charlie, you, you go back 87 years. Let's look at the evidence. Where along the way is the evidence that says what you're telling me is true? Let's render a verdict. And Charlie's eyes opened with the truth. And Charlie looked at me with tears coming down his cheeks. He said, Pastor Lewis, I need to be saved. And that old man bowed his head before God. With tears in his eyes, asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into his heart and save him. His daughter and her husband were down in the basement praying through all of this. And I hollered down and I said, y'all come up. And they came up and as they walked in the door, Charlie said, I want you to know I just got saved. Last Sunday morning, when they gave the invitation, and I'm not the pastor anymore, and our pastor stood down before the communion table. Charlie took his walker and I walked beside him. And very feebly, Charlie walked down and said, Pastor, I got saved yesterday. And I want to tell I want to tell people. That's why you're here. It's a lighthouse. It's a place where sick people, dying people can come and hear the truth and get saved. It needs to be here. It's made a difference on Guam. The preachers scattered out literally around this world, missionaries on the field, teachers teaching around the world, not to mention what is done here. On the islands, there are young men that are preaching the gospel. There are girls that went to the Bible college institute before it became a Bible college that married these young men, and they're pastoring churches and serving the Lord, and they're shining the light of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in areas that desperately needed it. 
Keep on keeping on. Serve the Lord. Make a difference. If the Lord tarries, I'll be in glory and Brother Marty will too. But one day, they'll be celebrating 80 years. And may it be that they can take the next 40 years and say, you know what? They just built on the foundations that were laid by the, those that preceded us. And they're still making a difference. They're still making a difference. Will you let God use you to continue to make that difference for the cause of Christ? He wants to. He wants to. The victories have been many. And if we let Him, the victories will continue.